0: All right, Ghostbusters, who are you going to call? Um, how many people saw the, saw the movie? Let me just see. A couple people over here, a few guys. Okay, awesome. Um, not many, but enough. So uh, we saw the movie a, a, as a staff on Tuesday, or at least those of us who could go, and uh, we laughed, like, a lot, like, embarrassingly a lot. I don't know if you've ever been to a movie and, like, you think that maybe you're the only people laughing and it makes you feel awkward, but we weren't really sure because we were in the big, like, reclining chairs over at the Tallahassee Mall, so we couldn't really tell, but, like, I, almost from the very first minute of this movie, I was just, like, laughing out loud. The actual m- most boring part of the movie was when they were, uh, I don't know what they call it, where they were actually busting the ghost, I don't know, is that the language? When they're actually dealing with the ghost and, like, fighting with the ghost, I was, like, bored. I was like, can we just get back to the part where you guys are just funny and telling jokes? Because that was really, really awesome. Um, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, it. They kind of summarized the plot, but it, again, if, you, if you're not familiar with the movie, it's a reboot. It's not a sequel. It's a reboot of the Ghostbusters franchise. So we've got four central stars, uh, Kristen Wiig, Kate McKenna, Melissa McCarthy, and Leslie Jones. And then uh, Thor, Chris Hemsworth is in it, um, I'm not too sure how I feel about his character, and I'm not really not too sure that about the fact that Mike Overstreet referred to him as a stud muffin, <laughs> which I'm not even sure if we can say that word in in church on Sunday. But um, so they reboot the franchise with a different storyline, but they're still Ghostbusters. They're still fighting ghosts, and. Um, from what I've been able to see so far, like the reviews have been pretty divided. You know, there's some people out there who are like, just kind of like me, like, man, laughed an awful lot, and that's great. I mean, it's, it's good to go to a movie that's supposed to be funny and laugh out loud. Uh, that's not a loss in my, in my book. None of the people are just like, man, it was awful. So I don't know, you know, go to see it if you want to. Enjoy it. And I just want to tell you uh, where I landed on this movie in terms of like what we're going to talk about today. And, and that is this. As soon as the movie started, like as soon as the storyline began, what I connected it with was, first of all, like the concept of the church, the concept of community, of God's community, and kind of after that, as I unpacked it during the week, I just got led to sort of my favorite scriptures in the book of Acts about the church. You know, so if you're not familiar with the Bible, in the New Testament, we have these two halves of the Bible, the, the First Testament, the Second Testament, Old, New, The first part of the New Testament are the Gospels, the stories of Jesus, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And then the fifth book of the Bible is the book of Acts, which is the story of the first church, the story of of the movement of God's people as it begins to go beyond just being a Jewish sect into a worldwide phenomenon. And uh, for those of you who also don't know, uh, Luke's Gospel, Luke also wrote Acts, so if you're ever curious to kind of read a huge swath of the New Testament, read Luke and then read Acts right after. There, it's a sequel, and they're all written by Luke, so it kind of it has the same tone, the same uh, overall approach to Jesus and who he is. So what I want to do this morning is very, very basic. I want to just throw out three ways that this movie made me think about the church. And, and with that, like I said, three of my favorite passages of Scripture about the early church. Um, so with that said, I'm, I'm going to just jump in. And the first thing that, that I would notice about the movie is what I just called like these characters are all just everyday people. Uh, there's a, a certain amount of diversity and, and rag-tag, ragtagness, if that's a word, about them. Uh, we have two scientists in the core group of characters, an engineer, and then uh, a person who kind of knows New York City very, very well. She knows the lay of the land. And none of these people are perfect. None of them in and of themselves are all-stars. They are all quirky. They are, all have rough edges. And if you wonder right now, is he talking about me at E32? Yes, I am. We are all quirky. We are, all have our rough edges. We are just everyday people who have come together, right? And that's the story of the Ghostbusters. That's the story of the early church. And, and it led me to think of my first, one of my first favorite scriptures in the book of Acts, and it's in chapter 4. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn to Acts chapter 4, we're going to just look at uh, one verse, all right? And let me set the context of it up. Uh, this verse is speaking about a couple guys named Peter and John. They are, they're followers of Jesus, and they are early leaders of the church, And you understand that the church starts off, the Christianity starts off as a sect of Judaism. Just a little division of Judaism that says, hey, the Messiah has come. His name was Jesus. Everything has happened. And so as they begin to proclaim that, they come up against the religious leaders of Judaism who are saying, no, 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 actually, we don't think Jesus is the Messiah. It hasn't happened yet. So they start to rub up against and and bump up against the leaders of Judaism to the point that, Peter and John are hauled before the council in Jerusalem the council of religious leaders and so this is what the text says it says the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus so there's two concepts in that in that scripture that i think are pretty plain self-evident. The first, they say, Peter and John, were, they said, these are ordinary guys. They have no training in the scriptures. You know, so just as we have, you know, Kristen Wiig and, and the rest of the Ghostbusters, in a way, they're just ordinary, quirky people. In the same way that we're just ordinary, quirky people, Peter and John get hauled before the council, and the first thing the council notices is like, hey, these are just ordinary people. They're just ordinary people. But then the other half of that uh, scripture says one critical thing, right? But they recognized them as people who had what? Been with Jesus. So they're ordinary people. And, and I want to suggest to you that, that, that that's a very diplomatic way for the council to say that Peter and John were just maybe a couple of idiots in their eyes. In the council's eyes, they're like, hey, these aren't anybody who are specially trained. They have no, why, how can God be working through ordinary people? Because they're not the best and the brightest and the top of the class. They're ordinary people. And, but yet, God's moving through them. And the key factor is, oh, they were with Jesus. Now, I, I wanna kind of just, uh, put a little footnote on this because I think this is interesting to me. I'll pull back the curtain a little bit on biblical scholarship. You see, Peter really is an ordinary person. If you know Peter's story at all, he's a fisherman. And he starts following Jesus when he's in his teens, probably. And Peter uh, is rough around the edges. To say he's an ordinary person who is quirky uh, is a bit of an understatement because Peter's a bit of a loose cannon. He says the wrong things at wrong times. He, his personality is not easy to get along with. He is not warm and fuzzy, you know? Uh, and he has no special training. Well, Peter actually writes a couple books of the New Testament. He writes, well, 1 and 2 Peter. We don't have the most creative naming in our, in our Bible, but he writes these two letters, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. And, and for a long time, uh, there's some skeptics of the Bible who would say there's no way that Peter could write those books. And you know why they say that? In part because of what it says right here. Because if you were to read the Greek of 1 and 2 Peter, the Greek is actually a very educated Greek. It's a, it's a, it's a Greek that is, is very fluent and uses, and is very, very well written, it's very eloquent. And so skeptics would say, Peter's just an ordinary guy, he's a fisherman. How could he write Greek like that, right? Well, for those of us on the other side of the aisle, we would say, I don't know, have you ever heard of anything called training? Have you ever heard of anything called growing? Have you ever ever heard of anything of like maturing? And, and what I would suggest to you, and I just wanna kind of throw this in here, is that yes, Peter and John are ordinary people, but the Bible and Christianity and spirituality is also, it's not anti-training. It's not anti, put your dues in. It's not anti-school. It's not anti-eloquence. The key phrase is like, have you been with Jesus? But I think even Peter started out as an ordinary guy. And I think Peter was like, you know what? I want to grow. I want to I take myself to the next level. So I really think that by the time Peter writes 1 and 2 Peter, I think he's actually worked on his Greek. I think he was like, you know what, there's nothing wrong with me being an ordinary guy, but I've been with Jesus either way, but you know what, I wanna give myself resources. I wanna throw myself into this ministry, and so I'm gonna grow. And I think by the time he writes it, he's like, yeah, I can write Greek, not just like fishermen, everyday basic Greek, but I can spin a really good phrase. But they were with Jesus. That's what brings them together. Next thing that, that I noticed about this is uh, the Ghostbusters, these, these women and this guy, they, they have an issue about believability. In the first part of the movie, especially a couple of the characters, they are craving somebody to believe that what they are passionate about is true. And in fact, at one point early in the movie, they finally capture a ghost on video and their reaction, I think it's actually Kristen Wiggs' character, she's like, we've got it on video. Now somebody will finally believe us. And they are these, this group of people that believe in the supernatural, believe in things that you can't see, that the rest of the world is going to like, no, no, that doesn't happen in New York City. It doesn't happen in the world. And I got to thinking like, you know what? If we get right down to it, church is the same way. I believe in an unseen world. I believe that there's more to life than what I can just touch or, or, or hear audibly. I believe in a supernatural world. And sometimes the culture out there is not ready to hear. And I have an issue of believability. I'm like, don't you see this? Don't you see this lifestyle that I've engaged with? Don't you see that this thing that I've, I've seized onto is real to me and is saving my life and is changing me? There's some people out in culture that are like, nah, I don't see it. I don't see it. passage uh, also in the book of Acts. We're gonna go to Acts chapter two. I love this. I think it's hilarious. So, uh, the believers, the followers of Jesus are all gathered in one place and, and all of a sudden, God's Holy Spirit gets poured out on the church in something we call, we call Pentecost. It's when God energizes the church for mission and it says, the scripture says that the Holy Spirit comes down on people, looks like fire, and then all of a sudden, we don't know how, but people can all of a sudden speak in different languages that they couldn't do before. I don't know how it happened. God wanted it to happen. But this is the reaction of the culture around them. It's awesome. Others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, hey, they're just drunk, that's all. Like, I don't know, a bunch of people running around, babbling in different languages. Who knows what they're up to? This is awesome. This is is church wisdom at work right here. Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you. Fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Again, that's Peter. It's like, I don't know if it was at 10.30, maybe, I don't know. But Peter's like, no, 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 nine o'clock. It's, it's, it's too early for them to be drunk. And then he goes on and he explains What's going on, and he gets to these passages, and I think this speaks to the idea of like believability because he starts in verse 22 he says, People of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him, and then God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. So what I'm getting at is this idea of like, Peter saying, look, <laughs> there is a believability gap that we have here. Because at our essence, the church At its core, at its lifeblood, is a man that was dead in a tomb for three days and then walked back out again. Not just alive, but resurrected. I've I've talked before about how resurrection is not resuscitation. Resuscitation is literally just wasn't breathing, now breathing. Resurrection is like resuscitation plus. Because resurrection, we're told by the scriptures, is that Jesus isn't just breathing. And he doesn't just have his body. But sometimes, somehow his body is different. His essence is different. It is infused with a power that was not there before. That's what is at the heart, the beating heart of the church. The beating heart of my life is resurrection. And I want to suggest to you that that creates a little bit of a problem for an unbelieving world. But I could run around and go, no, 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 you understand. Like it's, he was in the tomb, he was dead, something happened, not really sure, but then he wasn't dead, then he flew up to heaven again. And I don't know if you've ever been like me where you're trying to like feed that to somebody and they're just like, yeah, I ain't uh, getting it. And I think what the lesson is for, that I have to keep reminding myself is that sometimes uh, for the church, we need to own that, own that believability gap. Because sometimes we want people to just drink from our fire hose. And we're just going to like turn on all the doctrines of the church. Here's what you need to believe. That Jesus was crucified. He was dead. He was resurrected. There's a Holy Spirit. He lives inside of me. I live in God. God lives in me. I'm forgiven. Blah, blah, blah. And people are just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And we just kind of expect people to see the world the way we do, right? Because most of us live at least with some kind of awareness and engagement with the supernatural. There's people out there who don't. And sometimes instead of turning on our fire hose, we might be a little bit better off just giving people a little cup of water. So we'll save the fire hose for, for later. But maybe now you just need a little cup of water. And I'll tell you, here's, here's an example of what a cup of water looks like. One of the most effective questions I've ever learned when sitting down with somebody who's struggling in their life. It doesn't matter where they are in their journey with God. It's sitting down with somebody and they talk about this and that and the other going on with your life. And I know Pastor Mark uses it. I learned it a long time ago. You just look at somebody and you go, how's that working for you? That's what a cup of water looks like. Like we can save all of the issues of doctrine and deep theology and, and the things that you have to sign on. We'll save that for later because that believability gap might be too big right now, but I'll give you a cup of water. How's that working for you? I think that's, that's where we connect with these women in the movie. Last thing, and this is the most powerful thing, is uh, as I've said, you know, you've got these, this group of people. And when the movie opens... Like they're not even together. Melissa McCarthy and Kate McKinnon's character are working together in a lab. Kristen Wiig's character is off teaching and Leslie Jones' character is off and Chris Hemsworth isn't even in the picture. And the thing that brings them together is this thing called mission. Because all of a sudden something starts happening in the world and they recognize that there's a problem and they come together Kristen Wiig's character and Melissa McCarthy's character, they have this history, this relationship, friendship. They come back together because there's a problem to be solved. And at the heart of it all is the idea that they identify that there's something that they have to be doing in the world, this group of people. And they're not all the same. They come from different backgrounds. They're diverse. But here's what they know. (laughs) They know that Wacky stuff is happening in New York City. And who are you going to call? Thank you. There's a problem that has to be solved. There's a situation that needs to be addressed. And despite their differences, they're like, we have a mission. And the mission is the thing that's going to bring us together. And the mission is the thing that will bind us together. We don't have to look the same. Friends, it... That's the way it can be and should be in the church. We're not all the same. Don't know if you know that or not. And in fact, I would love that if if a year from now, we look even more different than what we do now, that we're more diverse ethnically, socioeconomically, politically, demographically. We don't have to look the same because we have a mission. We have a mission. That's what brings us together. That's what binds us. Here's what it looks like in the book of Acts. This is, my, this is probably my favorite passage in the book of Acts. So it's another couple of guys, Paul and Silas, they're out telling people about Jesus in this place called Thessalonica. And they are, again, they bump up against the, the religious leaders in the town. Starts like this. Some of the Jews were jealous, So they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. They attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out to the crowd. Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead and took them before the city council. They said, Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted, and now they're here disturbing our city too. And Jason has welcomed them into his home. They're guilty of treason against Caesar for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. And the people of the city as well as the city council were thrown into turmoil by these reports. So the officials forced Jason and the other believers to postpone and then they released him. This was actually the first scripture that came to my mind when I was watching the movie because they're kind of out in New York City, their stuff's getting wrecked, the mayor's not happy, and I'm like, they're out there causing trouble because there are problems that need to be fixed and nobody else is fixing them. And sometimes I think if the church would wrap their heads around the idea that like sometimes we need to understand that we're not here to endorse the culture's agenda or the world's agenda, but we're here to stir up trouble. God God-oriented trouble, trouble that looks like Jesus. Because the, I think the culture's always gonna have its limits to, to how much people will come together, to how much people can say, you know, we can get people in a room like this that, come, that, that, that span the political differences, the economical, di- economic differences in our world, and we can come together and we can say, you know what, there's a mission here that's bigger than all of us. That's the type of trouble, I think, that we need to be about. The type of trouble that sits down and goes, I don't look like you. You don't look like me. My house is not the same neighborhood your house is. But we're on the same mission and we're on the same team. Tell me how I can understand you. Tell me how we can be more aligned with the mission, more together in this. Man, that's the type of troublemaking I would sign on to. Because a lot of the world is going to say, no, no, no. We're just going to be more fractured and more different and more angry at each other. And the church causes trouble by saying, you know what, actually, we're going to be bound together in love. Deal with that. Acts 1 also has this vision of of our mission. Verse 8, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's, uh, He's already been resurrected, he's been with them for a time. Now he's ascending back into heaven. He says, Look, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be what's it say? my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. What's interesting about that last phrase, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, it's like concentric circles. Jerusalem is located in Judea. Samaria is just across the border from Judea and then finally to the ends of the earth. And Jesus is sitting there saying, like, look, when you start this mission, when you start this journey, you are going to cross borders. Some of them are going to be geographical borders. Some of them are just going to be borders in your own life. But you can't just stay in Jerusalem. You've got to go to Judea. Then you've got to go to Samaria, which is a little scary. Because get it, Jews and Samarians do not like each other. And then you can't just stop in Samaria. You actually go to the ends of the earth. But that's what the mission looks like. That's what binds us together. That's what brings us together. And so let me tell you that at E3, uh, we have a mission. Anybody know what it is? Yes. Make, mature, mobilize, fully devoted followers of Christ. Comes from Matthew 28. Words of Jesus. E3 is like, that's it. That's our mission. That's the thing that will bind us. Make mature, mobilize, fully devoted followers of Christ. That's what brings all these different people students, business people, parents, single folks. That's what brings us together. What does it mean to make mature and mobilize fully devoted followers of Christ? And And I want to suggest to you that that when we get on this mission, one of the things that we're called to do is lay down our agendas in the face of that mission. To say like, you know what? I am who I am. I come from who I come from. I've got my beliefs. I've got opinions. But nothing that I hold is as important as the mission. Because that's what brings it all together. And understand we don't have a mission because we, it's a good idea to have a mission. We have a mission because Jesus gave us a mission. It's not optional for us. It's not just good organizational theory. It's a non-negotiable. So if we have it, we might as well live it. Uh, a lot of you guys know, if you know me at all, you know I'm kind of a Netflix junkie. Like my Netflix queue has about like 220 titles in it because as soon as I found out that it didn't cost anything to put a title in, I was like, ooh, I'll add to my list, add to my list, add to my list. It takes like two minutes to scroll through the whole thing. Um, I just like movies, I, and, and so I watch things. Uh, if I have a spare, you know, spare chunk of time, this, this week, um, before I actually watched Ghostbusters, I, I came across a title that had just been released on Netflix, and it just intrigued me. And it's called I Am Not Your Guru. It's a documentary about Tony Robbins. Anybody heard of Tony Robbins? Motivational speaker, self-help guy. Um, really, really successful dude. And, and uh, it was a Netflix-produced documentary, and they tend to produce good stuff. And, and I don't know a whole lot about Tony Robbins, um, but it just looked like it was well done and had a whole bunch of stars. And it was a documentary about this event that he hosts called A Date with Destiny. And it's like six days long when people fly in from all over the world and you spend six days in really long seminars with him. And he is really, really focused on helping people. He wants to to help people get over the hurt and the brokenness of of their lives, kind of like the church, right? And as I'm watching this, and especially as I go to see Ghostbusters, all of a sudden, like, I'm fascinated about this event that he hosts, especially as it overlaps with what the church does, and especially as it's different from what the church does. Because it's very powerful stuff. I mean, he's standing up with people, and they're talking about their lives. They're getting honest. They're crying. He's helping. He's crying. He's helping people break through and name the things that are holding them back, right? And I'm like, man, that is like, in a way, I'm like, that's Jesus stuff. That's, that's that's God stuff right there, because God is about breaking the chains, right? We just sang that. But um, there's a couple critical differences. You see, Tony has this mission. He even says it in the movie. He's like, I will set, I am, I am about setting any human being free from, from what's holding them back. And I'm not, I'm not dissing anything about this, but it costs, I literally just went on the website this morning It costs about $7,000 to go to one of these seminars, which seemed to be very effective. It costs $7,000. Now, get it. We have an offering pyramid out there, and I know people still can't get over the fact that we have a pyramid that you're supposed to drop stuff in. We call people to church. We call people to give to E3 because it's a biblical thing to do. All right? But... If you're struggling with your life and you say, hey, Eric, or hey, Mark, or hey, Lori, or hey, Dan, can you sit down and have a cup of coffee with me because I'm struggling right now. And we sit down with you and we talk honestly and you share your brokenness with us and we, and we uh, just say, look, you are loved and you're accepted and maybe we offer you some advice. Let me tell you something. You are not gonna get a bill in the mail from us. We're not gonna charge you to fix your life. Why? Because we have a mission. And the mission doesn't include sending bills to people. The mission just says, you gotta make mature and mobilize fully devoted followers of Christ. You have to set people free. You know? And then the other thing I was just struck with, the difference between uh, what I saw in the, the Robbins documentary is the idea that like, it's, it's an event that happens once and then these people may never see each other again. They come from all over the world. They they spend six days. They cry. They experience some revelation, but then they go home. And we, the church, are called to be the church seven days a week. We have an event. We try to make these Sundays powerful for you, but guess what? You know where the real blood and guts and the real meat and potatoes happens? Happens when we close the doors on Sunday and we go live our lives with each other. That's when church really happens. And we stumble and we fall sometimes, but we live it seven days a week. It's not just an event. So I wanna wanna end with just asking you a couple questions. The first is just this, where are you with the church? Where are you with the whole concept of the church? When I was younger, I used to think of my spiritual life as like, hey, I've I've got this spiritual life, this journey that I'm on individually. And then if I feel like engaging with the community, Okay, and, and because I'm an introvert, I hardly ever felt like engaging with the community. So for most of my life, spirituality was something I did on my own. And church was what I incorporated when I felt like it. But the more I studied and the more God worked on my life, I became to understand that these two things are non-negotiably intermeshed. I am an individual, but only in the midst of a community. And I have to do the work on my own. God has an individual relationship with me that doesn't look like anybody else's in this room, but I'm also called to be a member of a community because that's what God called. He called a people. So where are you, you know? Maybe one of your takeaways is be like, you know what? I've never gone all in with the church. I've never gone and taken the step to say, look, I'm going to be here in this community. I'm going to be here. I'm going to give my all, and I'm going to hear comments back to me about my life, and I'm going to give comments out about my life. And then the second thing is related. What's your part in the mission? We have a mission. Make mature mobilized fully devoted followers of Christ. You know? I can't believe I'm doing this, but just like in Ghostbusters, they had an engineer, they had a couple, you know, theory people. And then they had a couple like real practical down to earth, here's how we get this done people. Everybody has a place in the mission. Everybody does it's our job one of the things that we do again there's no bill for this is it's up to e3 it's it's up to e3 to help you find what that place is so in the fall we're going to be offering stage classes one of which is something called demonstrate which is just designed to have you figure out what's your place in the mission of making maturing and mobilizing fully devoted followers of Christ there are no sidelines in God's in God's kingdom we're all in the game so those two things um and relatedly, I'd like you to do two things for me as we close. I going to invite, as the band's gonna come up and play one last song. I want you to, I want, I'd like you to do two, two things for me. One is uh, September 4th is something called Vision Sunday. Uh, I'd, I'd love you to write that date down or put it in your phone right now because that's the date that we're gonna be unpacking more of what the mission of E3 is and we're gonna get really, really real and as specific as I can get on what the mission of E3 looks like over the next 365 days. Be here, and uh, and I'm going to ask you to to sign on. If you're a part of this community, sign on for that journey. And then the, the second thing is one of the ways that we send people out, we mobilize people, but we also make disciples, and it forms them as we do these things called Global Outreach Trips. And we have two trips coming up in the near term, Guatemala and Haiti, and a trip to Uganda next summer. And we're having an informational meeting on July 31st. There's sign-up sheets out there. We even, like, went old school. We got off the CCB thing for this. You can put your name on a piece of paper out there. July 31st, you're going to hear about those trips. And let me tell you, those trips change lives. They change the lives of the people you go visit there. They change your life. And they send these ripples out through the community and out through God's kingdom. So why don't we all stand together? I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to play one last song as we go out.